You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Welcome to This is Critical. I'm Virginia Heffernan. This is Critical is the show where we question all of our assumptions about culture, like that life gets its meaning when we work hard, when really it gets its meaning when we sit in a chair, look at a bowl of cereal, and go, duh. But evidently, not everyone has come around to this obviously correct sloth-forward way of thinking. In the first episode of Hulu's series, The Dropout, a young Elizabeth Holmes, you know her as the founder of the disgraced company Theranos, is running laps at school. And she's been at it for a while. All the other kids have finished, and they're standing at the side, just waiting for her to finish already. But Elizabeth, barely shuffling, refuses to quit. You can stop if you want to stop. Hey, 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 hey. And we'll cross the track till the last runner's done, all right? It's a compelling and disturbing scene. Disturbing because it's not quite inspirational. It's sort of the inverse of the usual little engine that could stuff, in the sense that you almost want to beg little Elizabeth to stop, to just remind her to rest, to tell her that this particular aspirational finish line is just a fiction used to force kids who don't like to run into a combo of self-loathing and overachievement. The scene also gives a glimpse of the education of a mogul. Elizabeth is relentless, even when her goal is arbitrary, grueling, and meaningless. She's a finisher for the sake of finishing, a woman with boss babe motivational slogans where her moral sense should be. Now this scene, a piece of fiction, of drama, also yields insight into Holmes and perhaps even compassion for her that, in my experience, had not been stirred by all the journalism podcasts, and documentaries about Theranos. This scene is the kind of thing the Dropout's showrunner and my guest, Elizabeth Merriweather, does so well. Until recently, Liz was best known as the creator of New Girl and other network sitcoms, but a few years ago, Searchlight Television approached her about making another kind of show, an adaptation of The Dropout, ABC's podcast about Elizabeth Holmes. Now, you all know Holmes founded the blood testing company Theranos, which spectacularly collapsed after whistleblowers, skeptics, and a reporter named John Carreyrou exposed Holmes's many lies. And the lies were really something. I mean, the most damning was the claim that Theranos devices worked when they didn't. 
And then there were the kind of hilariously small random lies, like when Holmes told everyone her Siberian husky, who had a habit of soiling the office, was actually a wolf. He wasn't. The facts have been covered, but Liz Merriweather felt there was something big missing. Why? Why had Holmes done this? Who was she? What kind of person does this? The result is The Dropout, now streaming on Hulu and starring Amanda Seyfried. Yes, apparently that's the right pronunciation. The show is fantastic, just great television. I've watched it more than once, and it's also the most convincing take I've seen on Holmes and the culture that created her. Liz, thank you so much for joining me on This is Critical. I'm a huge fan. Thanks for having me. I'm also a fan. So I've been reeling for weeks since I finished watching The Dropout. And I got to say, I've got a friend who was a roommate of Elizabeth Holmes at Stanford. And she said you guys got her completely right. It's like I don't even want to think about I, I You know, for me, she just became the character in the series after a certain point. And that's kind of what she is in my head still. And I... <laughs> so I I I mean, it really is, it is a dramatization. Obviously, I did a ton of research and we were trying to like figure out a lot of what had actually happened. But um, in order to write it, I had to kind of get some distance from it and sort of think about her as a character. Yeah, yeah, no, I can see that. I, I, um, I think we should back up for listeners who didn't follow in fine granular detail the story of Elizabeth Holmes and give the broad strokes. Elizabeth Holmes dropped out of Stanford beginning of her sophomore year and started this company, Theranos, that purported to be able to test blood using only a drop in a portable device. And she got an enormous amount of funding because she had support from um, Channing Robertson, who was a professor at Stanford. And the company lasted 12 years and it seemed to sort of dig itself deeper and deeper into this hole of kind of like trying to get funding while not really being able to ever deliver the technology it promised to the point where they convinced Walgreens to put the machine in its stores and actually test real people. And they gave hundreds of inaccurate test results to people and also lost millions and millions of dollars. And then she was convicted of fraud, and now she's going to be sentenced in September. And she did it all with a man named Sonny Balwani, who she met when she was 18 years old and secretly dated for the entire time that Theranos uh, was around. He joined the company at a certain point, and it's just a crazy, very complicated story with this, a ton of characters that come in and out and just so much scope. And I think like mm-hmm. I, I had read a Vanity Fair piece by um, Nick Bilton and I, I was immediately intrigued by the story and mostly her and her character and what led her to make these choices and, and why this all had happened. Um, and then kind of put it away in my head. And then a couple years after that, I was approached by Searchlight, who had, and this was their first TV project, and they had gotten the rights for a podcast by Rebecca Jarvis, who's mm-hmm. an ABC News correspondent. And she had put together this incredible podcast that I think delved really deeply into 
who Elizabeth was as a person and what was motivating her and had some really amazing anecdotes that felt really cinematic to me. And um, Kate McKinnon was attached and it was set up at Hulu and they needed a writer and they (laughs) asked me to come in and pitch. And I had previously only done network comedy. Uh, When I say only, I don't know. I guess only is the wrong word, but... (laughs) I mean, that's the hardest one. That's the like (laughs) running the gauntlet. But I'd, cre- I'd created New Girl, which had run for seven seasons, and I had two shows running, Bless This Mess and Single Parents, and they were, it was, you know, it was just all in a very a defined category of network sitcom. <laughs> and they, they reached out to me and asked me to pitch, and I, I was sort of surprised, and I was excited because I, I had loved the, I loved the podcast and I loved the story. Um, but I also kind of felt like, what is the point of this? There's so much reporting at that point. There'd been John Carreyou's book, Bad Blood, and the documentary, The Inventor, and HBO, and a ton of articles and reporting. And I felt like people had kind of like learned about the story. And I, I didn't know if people were still interested, but the more that I talked about it, the more that I sort of thought about the, the, the project, I felt like her point of view had been missing from the story. I felt like the, Mm -hmm. the, the sort of the story from like a human emotional level hadn't been told. And that was the great mystery of the story for me was, was just who is this person and why did she make the choices she made? And, and journalists can't, you know, journalists can't do that. It's kind of only Mm -hmm. writers. (laughs) I mean, only like, you know, dramatists and, screenwriters and that can that can fictionalize like that and, and and so I did actually feel like there was a there was something additive about doing a, a limited series I wrote something about her about I, re, I reviewed Bad Blood the John Carreyrou book that you and I both admire yeah and in it the closest I could get to a feel for Elizabeth Holmes was that you know, every description of her said she had a low voice. The voice might be somewhat dubious, like maybe she had deliberately deepened it, and that she had mesmerizing blue eyes that seduced every man into giving up a ton of money. And so, in other words, she was looked at very much from the outside and just beheld by men who then gave her money. And that just didn't feel like... It didn't feel like the full story. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 interesting because, I you know, the reporting obviously is amazing, um, but it's very much told from the point of view of the whistleblowers or like the people who saw through her and not really at all from her point of view, obviously. And so it, it I felt like there was room there for me. I felt like I could, I could tell a story there that wouldn't feel just kind of like a gratuitous rehashing of what had happened that actually felt like something that needed to be kind of explored for me. It was her main point of view as a young woman in this position of power that she, you know, didn't earn. (laughs) Yeah. So, and so the other fact that there was a kind of um, void at the center of the company where the product, the one-liner that we learned about that, you know, you could test one drop of blood and you could find all different blood issues um, just from this one pinprick. The fact that that didn't work and never worked makes it a really kind of simple story. Like, that that's bold. And then there are the levels of secrecy. Okay, Stay with me here, Liz, but this whole scheme of Elizabeth Holmes makes me think of this project 
on the bobcat that I had to do in fifth grade. And <laughs> I, and we had, it had to have music. I, like you had to write a song. You had to make a stuffed animal. You had to write a report. You had to give like a presentation <laughs> and you really had to like become your animal. It was whatever. Mine was a bobcat. So I wrote the paper pretty early on. It was, you were supposed to take the whole year on it, but I'm not very good at crafts. So I just forgot about the rest of it. And then the night before someone was like, how's your animal project? It's due tomorrow. And I just went, oh no, oh no. <laughs> It was supposed to be worked on all year. Ah! And I just went home like, oh. and, you know, I made my mom sew the thing and whatever. But it was just this crazy night of like secrecy and the zero that was at the center of my project. And I would never be able yes. to get over. And yes. I just kept thinking, what if you just had nothing in your pocket and you'd been bluffing so hard? And what would that feel like? It's, a, you know, it's a very universal feeling. I think that's what's also like really interesting about this because I've often said like that I can, that I relate it to her at some level, but like, you know, it's, it's a tricky thing to say because, you know, I, as far as I know, I've not been convicted of fraud, but <laughs> like the idea that, um, the, that I feel like everyone has kind of, you know, bitten off more than they can chew at one point in their life or like promise like over promised and sort of then I don't know like the up all night the all-nighter um sort of frantic uh throwing together of something I so connected to that and I felt like a lot of new girl was written in the middle of the night you know just like that that sort of like oh we have to like shoot this tomorrow kind of feeling and so I, I I connected with her and and that really inspired there's a there's a sequence in the second episode where they're up all night in this hotel in in Switzerland which is uh based on an anecdote from from bad blood but it was like them all trying to get this machine to work for a demo the next day and yes. and she it said that she'd pricked her finger so many times that she couldn't feel her fingertip anymore Oof. and it like this just primal thing where it's her own blood, you know, or she's actually just like pricking her finger and extracting her own blood, trying to make this thing work. And it's not working. I, I guess from purely a like metaphor place, I just I found the story was so rich with just images, you know, like this like blood and this machine that she's constructed to to understand herself and to understand people and that it never quite works. And that, you know, I just said there's so many parallels for me between the machine and her as a person. That's amazing. Yes. And right. And that she wants it to look a certain way. Like it has to be a certain size. I mean, you're, you're like quite aware in this of how much PR Holmes was expected to do that by the end, there's like a makeup and hair crew following her around at all times <laughs> so that she can be ready to appear somewhere and then ideally convince investors in a roundabout way by doing all these articles and all these appearances that... Uh, and her appearance became so much a part of her identity. You know, yes. it, it was sort of like there the same thing happened to her that happened to the machine where it was just... Uh, this facade with nothing behind it. And and so, I mean, she embraced, you know, famously embraced the Steve Jobs uniform where she would wear this black turtleneck and and then she would wear like really bright 
red lipstick and put her hair back in a messy bun. And it was just, it was all kind of a sales tool. You know, it's like she, she made her identity into a sales tool in this kind of fascinating way in my mind, because it was so much coming out of, I think, fear or just like an inability to, she like never could be herself. I think (laughs) she never, like she, she, she was always, um, at least the character in the show is kind of always like searching for, for some kind of self that I don't think she ever like reaches or, or finds. We need stories like the Elizabeth Holmes parable to help us make sense of why these disasters happen. And sometimes the best way to do that is with fiction, to really get a feel for what makes people like Holmes tick. But how do you write a story inspired by real people when getting it wrong could mean, well, getting sued? That's coming up when we return. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. We're back with our guest, Elizabeth Merriweather, the showrunner of the Hulu series, The Dropout. One thing that, that Theranos seems to have done is, it was we know it's a non-solution, but I think it's a non-solution to a non-problem. Like, we sort of lose track of, you know what, getting your blood drawn the normal way just isn't it's that fine. bad. <laughs> right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So like, yeah, so as just a, yeah, just a project. She 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 does do a nice job making it sound like some miracle. I mean, her 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 claim that it was used or could be used on the battlefield, you know, it took people a long time to figure out why would you be testing someone's blood if they've been like shot by a, you know, blown up by an IED. <laughs> well, what was I mean, what I think I think people with like chronic illness, people with like long-term illnesses, especially cancer, I think cancer features really prominently in the, in the series, but that would be miraculous. Like for people who have to constantly get their blood drawn, but she is sort of presenting it as if it's the answer to um, all of America's kind of healthcare <laughs> problems, which it's like, it's, yeah, it, 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 when you step back, it's kind of like, okay, <laughs> I mean, it's, it, it would, it would be good. It'd be nice, but it's not, you know, it's not going to, ch- you know, right. change everything forever. Um but that was, I mean, I think that was the way that a lot of the the CEOs, the tech company CEOs at that time and potentially still now are were like presenting what they were doing. It kind of, it couldn't just be a, a useful invention. It, it had to have sort of spiritual uh, trappings and it had to seem like it was, it was like something bigger than it was. I, again, had no background in 
business and I, and I, you know, I, I don't know that many entrepreneurs in my life. And so I listened to the NPR podcast, how I built this when I was preparing to work on the show, because I, it's, it's a great, it's a great podcast, but you know, what Elizabeth Holmes did, obviously she's been convicted of fraud, but you know, up to a certain point, there are a lot of similarities with a lot of these stories where she was kind of like trying to, I guess, fake it till you make it. And, you know, yeah. like that, that whole idea of, of, of just kind of trying to get investors and saying whatever you need to do to get investors. It's, it's not, you know, uncommon. Yeah. I mean, I worked in tech for a while and they called, they called this move wizard of Ozing sometimes Entrepreneurs, I guess, do it all the time. They start off pretending that their product works and then they just kind of figure it out once the money comes in. But the, but what she was doing was healthcare. You know, I mean, I think that's what was like, she was like taking all of that sort of tech founder mythology and applying it to healthcare. And the stakes were so yeah. high, obviously, because it's people's health. And, and, and the, like the, the kind of person who doesn't understand that, who doesn't mm-hmm. understand the difference between a computer and a human body is the kind of person that I'm interested uh, in exploring. Yes, that, absolutely. I mean, so just to get back to her character a little bit, she doesn't seem like a fraud from the beginning in your series. You have that image of her, con- like, just unwilling to give up. Like, somehow she just overrides any kind of intuition or even like bodily needs. Um, yes. Yeah. I mean, and that's that anecdote from the podcast. And that's where the show starts is that, that when she was 11 years old, she was running on this track and every other runner had finished the race and she was so far behind. Like the other runners couldn't cross the track and get water until the last runner finished. And she kept running and, Rebecca Jarvis, it, it's the last episode of the podcast and she tells that anecdote. And I mean, that kind of drove everything home for me. You know, like as yeah. a writer, you're just looking for like that one scene yeah. or the one anecdote that kind of sets everything up for this person. <laughs> yes. like, this is the, like, this is who she is. And I mean, there's something, there's something admirable about it. But there's also something a little like sadistic about it. It's like, yes. she, like these like, these like runners that were, sort of hot and needed water and like sort of maybe not maybe not sadistic but just like a there's an obliviousness there's a destructive obliviousness there's like a focusing so much on your own path you're hurting other people and so I just it felt like this amazing like distillation of of the whole story for me (laughs) it's so beautifully done and also kind of rhymes with other ways that her movements are strange. The The dancing is, I mean, obviously the dancing. Let's just have a moment yeah. about the dancing. It, I mean, I guess it, there was, there was an anecdote in, in the podcast that I love where she talks about seeing Elizabeth in the parking lot early in the morning at Theranos when Elizabeth didn't think anyone could see her and she was dancing in her car to hip hop music. And I just held on to that because there's so few anecdotes about who she was in private or, you know, who she was when no one was looking. And so that kind of just became this theme for me um, of like, what is her emotional outlet? Like, I don't think, I don't think she's necessarily like, you know, in broadcast news, like shutting the door and sobbing, you know? Yes. Yes. (laughs) It's like, she's not that, like, she's not that character. So I, I guess dancing became that for me where I was like, okay, like she 
this is how she gets some of it off, like the pressure, the emotion. This is how it comes out of her. Um, yeah. And had a like, you know, long conversation with Michael Schulter, the director, and Amanda Seyfried about who's, you know, obviously unbelievably amazing in, in the role, <laughs> but uh, yeah. just about what the dancing was, like I, that I didn't want it to ever be, you know, cute or sexy or I don't know I just I I wanted it to be her this this strange person trying to emote trying to let emotion leave her body yes (laughs) so we like really worked we like worked on that because it you know Amanda's like a good dancer you know so we were like trying to like we were trying to like make sure that it always felt kind of raw and strange you know yeah and hype music. I mean, another, right. she's clearly using it to be like, you can do this, you know, and this like really kind of masculinist style of music that right. is devoted to, you know, maybe the kind of thing that if you were, you know, 80 laps behind everyone else on the team, you would sing something like that to yourself to get yourself to keep going and repress your shame. And it just comes across so, it's just done so well. I mean, I I love the knowing that that was a note of yours. So two things that are a little bit, I don't know, that like are concerning to me. One is we have so many post-pandemic shows that are all so wonderful, including uh, We Crashed and this one, that are um, based on real people and yet fictionalized. And I don't even know how did, in a world that's filled with NDAs, how did everyone get to use the names and clearly, (laughs) like, write docu-fiction with, you know, Elizabeth Holmes and Adam Newman? I mean, some of it has to be made up. The quotes, the, you know, all kinds of stuff. We don't know if she really did sit alone, um, dance in that particular way when she was alone. We don't know anything about what she did when she was alone. Yeah. What's the, yeah, What? how does this work legally? What's the process? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I honestly, it was, it was a huge part of the show. I mean, just like my conversations with lawyers, I, it was as soon as we started putting out story areas and outlines, I was having you know, long, long conversations with lawyers the whole way through. But I mean, it's been vetted and I had to learn all of the the sort of rules and laws around docu-fiction (laughs) while it was happening because I've never done anything like this before. You know, beyond the lawyers and all of the legal issues, I also personally felt this huge responsibility to kind of tell the story in a way that felt responsible, Mm -hmm. that felt like, you know, I was aware that these were real people the whole time mm-hmm. and and most of them are alive and i grappled with you know what is what is the point of this what is, and 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 it's not to kind of like hurt people but to try to better understand the story that ended up affecting a lot of people's lives and and try to kind of think of what were the factors that went into it that could possibly be changed in the future like what what can we all be more aware of in the future if something like this happens We're going to take another short break. When we come back, there's another incredible character in The Dropout, one you probably haven't heard much about, but she could easily have been the star of the show. That's up next. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, 
Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. We're back with Elizabeth Merriweather, showrunner of the Hulu series, The Dropout. So Liz, I have a favorite character in the series. She's the one I feel like is, she's kind of a paradigm for what a hero in these situations might look like. And that's Erica Chung, the whistleblower who helped bring down Theranos. I don't know. I just, I think it was a beautiful performance. Yes, I've talked a lot about my connection to Elizabeth Holmes. And I I think, obviously, the mystery of who Elizabeth is, is the driving force of the series. But a real reason to make the show for me was to tell Erica's story. I mean, was I, I just was like, this is... This is a part of the story that people don't know about. Mm-hmm. There are some really fascinating parallels between yeah. Elizabeth Holmes and Erica, but then also big differences. You know, Erica went to Berkeley. Elizabeth went to Stanford. They're both in sciences. They're both young women. They both were assaulted um, their freshman year of of college. And Erica talks about in her TED Talk that that experience and says she almost dropped out and then she she decided to stay and then Elizabeth drops out. So there's these strange parallels between them. But then Erica's, you know, a woman of color and who someone who grew up in a trailer, like, you know, is coming from no money. Mm-hmm. And she is the one who brings down this company. <laughs> like yes. She is the one that has the courage to do what so many people, I think, thought about doing, but just decided not to over 12 years of the company's life. Yeah. I mean, can you tell just for listeners who don't know her part of her story um, that we're referring to how she brought down the company? Well, she, it was her first job out of college. Oh my gosh, you know? Yeah. <laughs> she, she like oh. was recruited at a job fair, you know, and found the Theranos booth, I guess. And, you know, but it was like a very exciting opportunity for her. And, and she talks about, you know, Elizabeth was a female CEO in mm-hmm. a very male-dominated world and she was just really excited to work for a woman and then she just immediately upon arriving at Theranos sort of starts to see all these things that are wrong and the big thing that really bothered her was that they were asking her to cherry pick data so they were asking her to kind of like you know present a picture of the of the Theranos devices as if they were working and Mm -hmm. and and throw out what they called outliers which was basically any data point that didn't um, do what they wanted it to do. Yes. <laughs> so she was like, that's not science. I mean, yeah. I think what what I think is amazing about Erica was just this, like, she just loves science. I mean, she she is so committed to the scientific method where you just follow the facts until you get to the mm-hmm. truth. And, and Elizabeth is so much about presentation and sort of tap dancing around the facts and Erica was just very much about the facts and she anyway she sort of found uh kindred spirit in Tyler Schultz and the two of them started to see all of these things that were wrong with the company and they 
tried to tell George Schultz, Tyler's grandfather, who was on the board about it, and he ignored them. Mm-hmm. She left the job, and then they started talking to John Carrier, the Wall Street Journal reporter. His article came out, but while it was coming out, Erica also wrote a letter to the Center for... Um, <laughs> I always forget Oh, it's Medicare. Yeah. <laughs> That's just a, a beautiful scene. There, Just for listeners, the reason we're forgetting the name of it is that it is deliberately the most boring name. I think, as Erica says, you know, she falls asleep in the middle of even naming it. Um, <laughs> I do always forget it. It's CMS, but the Center for Medicare Services. <laughs> yeah, Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. And I just only know that because I just looked it up. And she has that great line. It's just this fucking boring fucking federal fucking regulatory agency that can shut her ass down. Yes, she said, but she signs her name to this letter to them and and basically alerts them that there are things going wrong with the lab and they have the power to shut down the lab, which was like her main focus. I think it's like not even to get the articles out in the Wall Street Journal, mm-hmm. but to just shut the lab down. And so she ends up doing that and... Yeah, so she's incredible. And now she runs a, a nonprofit for ethics and entrepreneurship. So she's just fully, uh, fully good person. <laughs> I mean, it is a really, I think I've even mentioned on this show before that I think we're going to see after these, in the wake of these scams and frauds, a, a new interest in, um, you know, dropping the libertarian bravado about like we don't need need the government and this comes up in we crash too there's even a very similar conversation that you need a boring fucking government regulatory fucking agency and that if they get a call they have to investigate and it is good to remember that journalists don't do whistleblowing they can do exposés but they don't get in there and shut a company down you know? Yeah. And that was actually, that was interesting for me as a writer because I, you know, I've always adored all the president's men, you know, just like that idea that like the journalist comes in and kind of like brings everything down. And it was a lot of conversation and about whether or not we were going to have an eighth episode. And, you know, at the end of the seventh episode, Carrie Rue's article comes out and I was kind of like, how can we narratively go past that? Like his article is out. But then the more I looked into it, I was like, that article wasn't the thing that brought the company down. It was her letter. It was Erica's letter to this this federal agency. And so I I felt that that sort of, that was a big moment for me because I was like, okay, like that's, that's a narrative that we haven't seen a lot on television, probably because it's not, you know, super sexy to like write a letter. (laughs) But it, you made it sexy and interesting and the relationship, the, the, well, at least the platonic relationship between Erica and Tyler Schultz is fantastic. Oh, and I should say for listeners, Tyler Schultz worked at Theranos too and eventually became a whistleblower. But he wasn't just another Theranos employee. Tyler is the grandson of former Secretary of State George Shultz, who was a major backer of Elizabeth Holmes. I mean, I could go on and on about how interesting that is and how it didn't occur to Tyler Shultz, even though he's obviously a good guy, to turn to the government. Because 
I feel like American dramas are always, it's always like a maverick, right? Who's saying, I'm not going to listen to the laws. I'm not going to follow your your rule. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and that is, you know, the the even the journalist stories where the like shaggy, awesome, all the president's men, you know, are kind of like going off piste and doing all this like awesome, you know, kind of thinking for themselves and just having this, having just, this really extraordinarily captivating figure of Erica Chung do this thing with so much brio. I really was like, now we have a hero story about how this kind of gets done. And guy, the guy from the regulatory agency who just like makes a sandwich <laughs> and cannot be seduced by Elizabeth Holmes. My God, it's so good. It's so good. Let's hear it for government. Um, all right. I have to ask one thing about... Um, you know, as I said, I worked in tech, I worked on in startups for a while, and we had people wizard of ozing and making products that didn't that didn't work and faking it in the moment and all kinds of other shenanigans. But st- now she's the poster girl for all of this. Is it because she is a woman? Do you think? I mean, it's very it's very complicated. I and that's honestly what I love about. The story is that it it's like there is sexism at play and then there is her kind of using her her sex as a form of manipulation as well. You know, I, I, I love I love that there isn't this like cut and dry part there. It, you can't you can't point to her and say, you know, she's a victim or she's not, a you know, like she's a lot of things. And that's what I love about the story, especially these days, because I just, you know, I think when it comes to a lot of these, you know, conversations about gender, people want there to be like a good and a bad and, you know, <laughs> like they want things to be black and white. And, and I think that she's like, she's a really complicated figure. It's interesting that she's, you know, has been convicted at the same time. Like I said, she was doing something in healthcare, it was health. The business part of the fraud, I think, is is shared between a lot of these people. But like the sort of actually going, like actually giving patients the wrong health results is different, you know? Yeah, I think, I mean, that seems absolutely right to me. I mean, it's just, it's such a great, um, it's just such a great series. And for anyone who doubts, Thank you. It's, it's, you know, thoroughgoing commitment to a feminist eye or woman's eye, you know, you don't have to look any farther than than Erica Chung. I'm so glad that you I noticed that because I it was I I had one meeting with a designer who's a female designer, and she was like, "Why why are you telling this story? Like, why should we be focusing on a woman in science who committed fraud when it's so hard for women in science? You know, normally." And I, it was it was a really tough question, and mm-hmm. um, I. And the answer I got to was Erica Chung and Phyllis Gardner. And I I think the story presents a lot of different sides to being a woman in science. And like, there's, you know, especially the sixth episode, which kind of like tells those three stories in parallel. But yeah, I mean, it was, I I thought that telling all of their stories, all of those women's stories was really important and to look at them side by side, you know. I think it, it just, it worked out beautifully and it is just so compelling I've I've watched several episodes including six multiple times just to start, try to figure out how you did uh. it reverse engineer it but I couldn't do it um 
Thank you. Thank you so much, Liz, for being here. Thank you. What a fun conversation. This was really fun. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. That's it for this week's episode of This is Critical. Make sure you don't miss next week's episode by following us or subscribing on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, please take a moment to rate and review our show on Apple Podcasts. Wow, it really helps other people to learn about the show. For more information and to keep tabs on us, follow me on Twitter at page 88 and at This Critical Pod. If you have a question or a cultural creed you think deserves another look, send us an email at thisiscriticalpod at gmail.com. This is Critical is made by me, Virginia Heffernan, and Stitcher. Corinne Wallace, Michelle O'Brien, and Ella Fetter are the producers. Tracy Samuelson is our editor. Brendan Burns mixed this episode and composed our original theme. And Josephine Martirana is our executive producer. Thanks for listening and stay critical. Stitcher. Home isn't just a place. It's a state of mind. Like curling up in a comfy chair while it's cold outside. With a warm drink or maybe even a wine in hand. As you watch the world go by outside your window. Mmm, short rib. Good afternoon, this is your captain speaking. Which is why at Delta, our people do our best to make you feel at home. Refill? Long before you get there. Delta, keep climbing. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see, so... No, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.